All right, well, welcome everybody. Good to have you tonight and uh, also the live stream audience. Uh, it was interesting just coming back into uh, the teaching ministry here the last week, how the numbers of people that are staying home. And what I, what I was sharing with the elders, we were in prayer last night, and one of the things that, that uh, we were talking about is how easy it is, even though you could attend service, you might stay home because you get into a lull. And in fact, one of the members of the church said to me, he, he said, Pastor, how, how much longer are we going to be doing live stream? And I said, well, I don't know. And he goes, well, I'll tell you, I wish you'd end it because it's too easy for me to slip into my, my, uh, you know, night, my night, my robe and just kind of sit down. And, and, and that's true. That is, there's truth in that. And so what I want to say to those of you who are live streaming tonight is if you need to be home, man, that's good. And I'm glad we're providing a live stream for you. But we don't see live streaming as a replacement for the family of God being together, those of us who are healthy enough to come together. Uh, it was never designed for that. That's not why we signed up with live streaming. Uh, that was simply to help those who cannot come. So there's no substitute, no replacement for assembling together Amen. as some are in the habit of doing. Amen? Amen. So uh, if you can come out, please come out and join us. Let's be the body of Christ. Let's have great fellowship. Let's study together. And those who cannot, no condemnation. We just want you to stay where you are and be in a safe environment where you can also uh, receive the teaching of the word and, and, and in a sense be with the body. But it's not the same, is it? Uh, I know that myself, ha having been down sick, it's not the same. So it's good to be back. Good to have each of you here tonight. Thank you for being here. Well, we're going to get into Revelation uh, as we have done. Have, we've been here for quite some time, and it's been a wonderful study. Tonight, we're going to pick up at chapter 8, and uh, we're going to go ahead and, and uh, continue as we finish up the last of the seven seals, and we move into, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 8, yes, and as we move into uh, the time of, of the trumpets, and we're going to actually cover the first four trumpets tonight. So we're going to cover chapter 8 and get into chapter 9 as well. So let's begin with prayer. Father, I want to thank you for tonight's uh, time together. I uh, thank you for the Word of God. We, we just line up with what Peter said to the Christians in his day, that it's a good thing to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what we want, Lord. And we want to understand the Scripture. We want a simple and pure devotion to Jesus Christ. Amen. We're not looking for all the, all the finagling. We're not trying to be high church. We just want to know the Word. We want to know the Savior. We want the Holy Spirit dwelling within us and, and teaching us every day to conform to the image of Jesus. So thank you, Lord, for, for your Word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit and the work that He does in each of our lives every day. And tonight, may this teaching bring glory to your name and may it encourage the saints. Amen. 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 Well, let's start with verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, uh, this seventh seal includes not only an earthquake, but the seventh trumpet uh, judgments as well, uh, and the bowl, seven bowl judgments. Uh, people have tried to put a chronological picture together of the seven seals and then the seven trumpets and then the seven bowls. And quite honestly, I think there's a little bit of, of change in that. I, I, 
There's a, it's thematic, no question about it, but I don't think it's clean. I don't think it's clear cut uh, as some people have made it out to be. Now, we'll find out in the end, won't we? We'll know. But right now, it's, uh, there's question to that, and many theologians seem to go back and forth. But uh, the, the, the bold judgments will flow out of the seventh trumpet, and come, they'll come in rapid succession uh, just before the return of Christ. Now, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. That's interesting. Let's remember now, when we started with the seals, back in chapter 5, I believe it was, uh, you're talking about the seals literally cover the entire seven years uh, of the tribulation. They, they cover the whole thing. They're a picture moving through, almost like an overview. And then you get into the trumpets and you get to specifics, judgments that are coming. We're going to cover some of those tonight. But between the sixth and the seventh seal, in heaven, silence falls over every living creature. Now just think about that, okay? Uh, John felt the silence lasted, he says here, about a half hour. Uh, I don't know if in, in eternity you can measure by time, can you? Um, but John said it felt like 30 minutes. And, and of course, time in eternity would be relative to what you're experiencing, I guess. Once, one thing to, to, to pay attention to is if I stop speaking right now for five minutes and there was total silence for five minutes, it would probably feel like a lot longer than five minutes. And I think that's probably happening to John as well. Maybe it wasn't a full 30. Maybe he, he didn't say it was 30. He said it's about a half hour. So we don't really know, but I'll just tell you this. That is profound. That heaven, which lives in a constant state, every being in worship of God, praise and worship of God, and all of the sudden... Now, by the way, the 144,000 Jewish evangelists are there now. All the multitudes of people that, that, that came to Christ in the tribulation many of which they reached and saved while they were on the earth. They're all in heaven now. And then silence. Can you imagine in a place where the environment is, is unquenchable worship of God? I mean, uninterrupted worship of God. And all of a sudden, silence falls. And you have to wonder, what's that about, you know? Well, what it's about is judgment. God is about to release the seventh seal, which opens up the trumpets. And these are the judgments of God that are about to fall. And I'm telling you, these judgments are profound. They are deep. And so there's this incredible, awestruck feeling that hits heaven as they begin to think about the trepidatious experience that's going to come to the earth among all the sinners, those who are not in heaven. Okay? Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God. Uh, it was interesting to learn as I studied that the, according to Jewish tradition, there are seven angels who stand in, in the presence of God. Well, based on this verse, uh, they got it right. Now, this is the Old Testament I'm talking about. Okay? They didn't have John's experience to go off of, yet John says there are seven there are seven angels standing in the presence of God, before God. 
And then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to each of them. So, or one trumpet per, per, per angel. As for the seven trumpets in the Old Testament, if you want to talk about trumpets, trumpets always were used as an alarm for war. They were also used to gather the Israelites together, like at the tent of meeting and other places for special gatherings. They would sound the trumpets. When they were doing a battle cry, they would sound the trumpets. In, the, in, in Revelation, if you look at the book of Revelation from front to back, you'll find that most of the time, 90% of the time, when the trumpet sounds, it means judgment is coming. Of course, that's what this book is all about. It's the revelation, the apocalypsis, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revelation of what's going to play out in the end. And the end is all about God's judgment of the earth. And so this is very interesting to me. Let me give you a broader view, though, of how these trumpets fit into the 21 judgments of God. These seven trumpets that we're going to be studying after we finish up the, the seventh trumpet of the seals, or seventh seal, these, these trumpets are of a greater intensity than even the seals. Okay, and then the bowls which follow the trumpets are even of a greater, uh, they happen quicker. They happen very quickly, very fast. You don't have time to adjust from one trumpet or from one uh, bowl to the next. So this whole thing, what I'm saying to you is this whole thing, these 21 judgments, it builds. The first, the first seven, that's kind of an overview. Then you get into the trumpets. And, then you get, and there's some interesting parallels between the trumpets and the seals that we'll hit on tonight. But uh, the first four trumpets announce the divine... Well, here, let me say it to you this way. Uh, the, the first four trumpets announce the divine destruction of the earth's ecology while the final three trumpets involve the unleashing of demonic devastation upon the inhabitants of the earth. So what starts is the breakdown of the earth. God begins to take out a third of different things on the earth, and then he deals with mankind. And, and it says in verse 3, And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. And then the angel took the censer and filled it, and with fire from the altar he threw it on the earth. So he fills the, the censer, and then he throws it to the earth. He throws what's in it to the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings of lightning, and an earthquake. So now we're seeing what's happening here at this final seal. Or I'm sorry, I'm sorry the, yeah, the final, the final seal. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. So I mean, as soon as he, he takes this censer and what's on it, and he cast it to the earth, and all of a sudden, this cataclysmic ecological destruction takes place. And, and immediately, John sees the seven angels lifting the trumpets as the judgments are about to fall. As if, if you just try to take and put it in the scenario that it's presented to us by John, it is a very sobering uh, thing to think about, isn't it? A golden censer, by the way, was used daily in temple worship. 
in the Old Testament among the Jews, right? It was usually suspended on a rope or a chain that was used to transport fiery coals, and they would transport those from the brazen altar over uh, to uh, the, uh, the censers, or, or the uh, uh, candles and everything, to light the incense, the altar of incense. And, and, and the altar of incense, interestingly, of course, is a picture or a symbol of the prayers of the saints. Just as this, this altar, these incense would rise up towards heaven. It's a picture of the prayers of the saints rising up to God. One of the things that's exciting is how, as we go through this study tonight, how powerful prayer is and the role that it plays, listen now, in the trigger of the judgments of God. And if you think about it, what we've already studied in Revelation, how many of the saints have already spoken and said, when will we be, what? When will revenge come? When will retribution come? We, we suffered on the earth, and we were martyred. We were put to death. When will that happen? And the Lord said a few more things happen, and then it's going to happen. So, but the, but the, it's the prayers of the saints that triggers these, these trumpets. It's really powerful. So in heaven, John describes the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascending before God. The idea is that just as an incense is pleasing in its aroma, so are the prayers. They're pleasing to God. So here before anything happens, I want you to get the picture. Before anything happens regarding the trumpets, it's the prayers of God's people that set in motion the coming completion of literally the history of the earth and mankind. Prayer. <laughs> Don't let anybody ever tell you that prayer doesn't really do anything, or that prayer is another thing we can do. It's, it's almost like you hear people say, well, well, uh, we'll just pray. We'll just pray as if that's all we can do. It's just the only thing we have left to do. It's the greatest thing we can do. Amen. And when our prayers line up with God, when our prayers line up with the will, somebody says, well, what, how do you know what, what What's the key to pray, God answering prayer? I'll tell you, the key is real simple. You pray God's prayers. You don't pray your own prayer alone. You pray God's prayer. Now, within God's prayer is you lifting up your petitions. There's room for that. It's not leaving that out. But listen, we want to pray God's prayers. That's what Jesus said. He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how I want the disciples to pray. You're lining up with God. When you line up with God, when you're praying in such a way that it is literally what God wants, it's going to happen. Amen. <laughs> and, and you count on it. Amen. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Amen, brother. This is the confidence that we have before him that if we ask anything according to Hallelujah. Him, he hears us. If he hears us, we have the request which we've made known. Amen. Amen. Thanks for sharing that, Pastor. That's good stuff. See, folks, those of you on live stream didn't hear that because you're not here. <laughs> Just playing with you. All right. Uh, verse 6. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. When the seventh seal was finally opened, guys, it didn't immediately trigger the end of time. Instead, it set in motion seven trumpets. These trumpets would sound upon the earth. 
you're going to hear this on the earth, okay? Amen. If you're walking around at that time, you're going to hear these. The fact that the trumpets follow the seals in sequence puts on a display. The mercy of God is stretching out to you. God is giving you warning what's coming. Amen. All the way through the 21 judgments, God gives, shows mercy, Amen. giving opportunity for people to turn and be saved. Now, to turn and be saved in that period of time under the tribulation, you're probably going to die. You're going to be a martyr. But the fact is, God's giving you opportunity to turn. I love that about our Lord. That even when He brings the harshest judgment that, the, that ever happens or occurs according to the Bible, He still shows mercy and grace. What a great God, huh? Now let's look at the first four trumpets. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth, listen, a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up. Oh my goodness, can you imagine the tree worshipers when this happens? <laughs> Woo, they're going to have a fit. And all the green grass was burned up. Wow! So a third of the earth, it's going to be ugly. Golf courses are going to be pretty upset. All those country clubs. How will it happen? Many wonder if it will happen through nuclear war, through fallout, through pollution, meteors, and things like that. These ideas are interesting, and they're very possible. You know, it's plausible. But they should never obscure the essential truth, and that is this, that all of this is happening because God is bringing judgment. You don't want to write this off that this is just part of the normal course of nature. This is not normal, what's going to happen. In fact, it's extremely abnormal. Never on, in the history of mankind have these events happened where a third of the earth is burned. You think about that. Okay? So, now, what exactly is going on that God would do this? Well, we don't know. God, we don't know if God sends something from heaven. But it could be that God raises up because when this earthquake ha that happens that we talked about last week, this earthquake is not, is not in one area. This is all over the earth. Every fault line is going to erupt. And so can you imagine that alone is going to create havoc? But, but because of that, think about volcanoes that will be triggered, that spew out the lava and that's falling all over the earth. So we don't really know what is causing this, uh, but it says that there will be hail and fire mixed with blood. The gases alone coming from, from the eruption of a volcano can turn the sky red. And uh, so, but I'm not trying to reduce what God can do. It might be something totally different than that. We don't know. But we think this is plausible that God uses. Remember when Sodom and Gomorrah, well, in that area where, they, where God literally just destroyed the whole city, there are, there are pits um, that uh, contain um, pitch. And so literally God erupted those, they believe. Many theologians believe they God brought an eruption of those things and literally, literally it wiped out the city and the people. So God can use the earth as his tool to carry out his judgment. Or, God can supernaturally manifest out of nothing fire that comes out of heaven. 
and consumes. But I got to stop here and just say this. We need to be real careful as Christians in the words that we use. Sometimes our words don't fit what the scripture says in its sentence or in its theology. We'll take words and we turn them into something other than what they were intended to mean in the context of the passage. I hear young people today a lot. They'll say, you know, Lord, send the fire, send the fire, send the fire. 90% of the time that God sent fire, it was judgment. And the one, I'm sure what they're meaning is the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and the fire fell. But listen, you can't take that out of context. That was a one-time incident where those, those men began to speak in other languages that were known among the people that were there in Jerusalem for the great, uh, 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 what was it for anyway? No, I'm just joking. They came to the feast. People from all over. You had to come to a feast at least one a year. Most men came three times a year to the, great, the three great feasts. And here they are at Passover, and all of a sudden, these men start speaking in their native tongues of languages way off somewhere else. That was a one-time deal. That was to say God is powerful, God is awesome, and He is real, and He is speaking right here now. And what did Peter do? He gets up and preaches a sermon and lifts up Jesus as the Messiah, and those people get saved. Amen. Praise God for that, huh? So, the point is that, that we got to be careful when we use the word fire. I don't want the fire to come down on me. I'll just be honest with you. Uh, the Holy Spirit dwells within me because I'm a believer. Every believer, the Spirit of God dwells within. That doesn't mean that you're accessing all the fullness of the Spirit in you, Okay, that ippy, he comes upon you. He wants to flow out of you, flow out of you into the lives of others. you got to cooperate for that to happen. But he's in you. You cannot be a believer and not have the Holy Spirit in you. Amen. And the reality is, you don't, you, he's in you. Why do you need fire? Why am I asking for fire? The fire's in me. He just wants to let the fire out, not let the fire come down. Two different things completely. So we just got... Young people, but see, that's where when we don't teach the, the whole Bible and we don't teach it in context, now we lead people astray. They have half-truths. and You can't build whole freedom on half of a truth. The whole truth sets you free. Amen? All right. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And we just talked a little bit about that. I want to tell you that uh, we'll, we'll have to just wait and see what happens. But I hope I'm waiting and looking from heaven. I'm not going to be on the earth when it happens. Amen. <laughs> Verse 8, the second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. Think about that. This, this, what's like, he didn't say it's a mountain. He said it's like a great mountain burning with fire, thrown into the sea. A third of the sea becomes blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. Okay, John was particular in sharing that this was like a mountain. It has to be a meteor. Like a meteor, wouldn't you think? 
that burns as it comes into our atmosphere and in the sea, it would have caused a massive tidal wave. This, this meteor is so large, massive tidal, it would wipe out a third of all the ships on the earth. Think about that. One theologian said, well, I, I think that, the, that all of this is happening when he refers to the sea here, he's referring to the Mediterranean because that's the only sea they knew about. Wait a minute, John's in heaven. He's not among men on the earth. He's seeing things that he didn't see when he was on the earth. And so I believe he's referring to all the seas. In fact, later it is plural. It speaks of it. So. But that's pretty powerful if you think about it. God sending, allowing a, an asteroid, something like that. Maybe it's a large asteroid that comes and destroys a third of the earth. Okay? And then it says a third of the sea became blood. Any kind of a disaster is catastrophic, but can you imagine, can you imagine the fallout of one-third of all the fish in the sea dying? Now that could be, maybe he's referring when he says it turned to blood, maybe it's referring to red tide, maybe it's referring to uh, what happened to the fish after they died, they bloated, maybe other fish were eating them and the blood was from that. We don't know. All we know is a third of the fish died. Can you imagine? If you went and took one-third of the earth of the sea and, you, and all the fish floated to the surface, can you imagine what that smelled like? You couldn't get away from it. There's no way. Imagine that. The third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. So first of all, this giant you know, probably more like an asteroid than a meteor. Uh, it comes and it wipes out the sea. And now we see this, what would be more like a meteor probably, because he says there's a great star that fell from heaven like a blazing torch, and it destroys the rivers and the springs, the fresh water. So not a third of that. So not only do you have a third of the salt water that's been destroyed, uh, and, and dead fish floating. Now you've got a third of all the fresh water that's now been destroyed, contaminated. Think about that. This third living creature, in the, or, or a third of the living creatures in the sea die, and a third of the ships are destroyed. And then this, he, he goes further. He says, the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. Many people died from the water because it had been made bitter, and that's what wormwood means, is bitter. Uh, and you could probably associate that with a comet or a meteor, something like that, crashing to the earth, bringing ecological disaster. Can you imagine all the, the people who are freaked out over global warming? What are they going to do? Honestly, I'll tell you what they're going to do. The Bible tells you what they're going to do. They're going, to, they're going to clench their teeth in anger towards God. The whole time God's bringing these judgments and taking out their gods, they're clenching up in anger against God. They're not humbling up. They're not, they're not asking for, for forgiveness. They're not repenting of anything. That's when, when the Bible says in Romans 1 that God handed them over to their own depravity, when he hands them over, this is the fault. This is what it looks like. You see the real heart of man. He does not want God. 
And so he rejects God. He suppresses the truth in his own unrighteousness. And that's what's happening. The, that's what's going to happen when these, things ha when these, these uh, judgments come. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. So now what do you think is going to happen? It is going to get cold. Okay? The opposite of global warming. So when, they, when somebody talks to you about global warming, just say, well, Revelation says the opposite is going to happen towards the end. It's going to get really cold around here. Because one-third... Now, by, inter, interesting, let's just look at this for a second. This doesn't describe a one-third less degree of light. It means one-third of the day and one-third of the night are plunged into absolute darkness. So now our days and our nights are different. As Jesus said, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. So where we have sun during the day, that's shortened. And then at night, it's shortened. And we're not going to be able to, to see as we can now on the earth. Think about how that's going to affect businesses, how that's going to affect commerce, how that's going to affect people in their attitudes, in their, in their disposition. Uh, I, look, I went to school in Indiana, uh, college. And I'm going to tell you right now, winter starts, in, and don't let anybody fool you, it starts in November, it doesn't end until April. And it's gray sky. And you get up in the morning and it feels like doom and gloom. And you go outside and it looks like doom and gloom. For like five or six months. And, and uh, we did everything we could. We, there was a group of Florida boys there, Mike Moore and myself, a bunch of it, Dale Wall. We all did whatever we could to make the best out of that. So they had a natatorium, an indoor pool, and we made up a polo team. They had polo clubs and stuff. We were the salty dogs because we were all from Florida. And we, we would do that to try to just do something to get some energy out and stay positive. And then in the dead of the winter, everybody's staying inside. We've got, you know, we've got these snow drifts that go up over the door. You can't even get out of some doors. And, and one of my buddies, Marty Berquist, he had an old, I mean an old, like a 65 Buick. And uh, this thing he parked in September, he parked it outside the, the dorm and uh, walked away and never got it. The winter came, you couldn't find it. It was just snow on the bank. And then in the spring, you know, uh, people, he's digging his car out, trying to get his car out. But we would go and uh, put on construction boots and uh, in the dead of winter. And I had a Volkswagen, so I had a heavy back end, so I could gain a little traction in the snow. And uh, we'd take turns, all the Florida boys, we'd take turns, we'd have a long rope and construction boots on, and we would hold onto that rope and ski down the main road. And, and wave at the president's house, you know, we'd go by, you know, waving at him. That, that, you do whatever you can because it's miserable. Can you imagine now the whole earth is, is being up, turned and a third of the earth is not experiencing a full day or a full night in terms of, of, of what they're used to. This is, this is really heavy stuff, man. This is no fun. And then it says, verse 13, then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Now, 
the eagle in the Old Testament is also in, in Hebrew. It's, a, it, it's very closely associated with angel. So this is more likely an angel who flies like an eagle. And he's going across the sky over the earth, and he gives three woes. Why? Because what you just experienced, those four trumpets and all that just happened, okay, now it's going to turn from the earth. The judgment's going to turn to mankind. God's going to start taking out people. And so, woe, woe, woe. Three trumpets, three judgments are about to be released. Now, we come to the end of chapter 8, but I want to give you just a couple observations here. First of all, these first four trumpets reveal the severity of God's judgment. Okay? Would you say that things have heated up from the, bol or from the seals? No question about it, right? He attacks all the ordinary means of subsistence like food and water. He attacks all the ordinary means of comfort, all the ordinary means of knowledge, such as light and the regular rhythm of a day. Everything's been disrupted now in the first four, in the first four uh, trumpets. Man has come to see these aspects of the created order as impersonal, listen, as perpetual forces. We just think they're always going to be there. We're always going to have the sun for a certain amount of hours in the day, and we're always going to have a moon that lightens the sky at night. We're always going to have the ocean. We're always going to... We just see those things as never-ending, and God disrupts all of that, trying to get attention. Guess what? It doesn't work. On the earth, they will make their adjustments to these disruptions and keep right on living as they have in the past. That's man. During the Great Tribulation, not willing to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. He will find his own way. We know something about the sobering humility that comes with, the, with a Cat 4 or a Cat 5 hurricane, don't we? Those of us who've been through it. Now, if you've never gone through a Cat 4 or Cat 5, you've moved to Florida here recently, you're like, okay, yeah, we, we, we can, we'll, we'll be okay, we'll make it happen. And uh, uh, you have no idea. Once you experience it, you're going to be sobered and you're going to, hey, you'll be humbled. And you'll take a different track next time a, a, a Cat 4 or 5 is heading our way. There's a reason why we take that. Now, this last thing that we just had, it was heading right towards us as a 1. Well, I, wouldn't, I, I didn't care to put up anything on my house for a 1. But I also didn't want people out running around in high winds and possible flooding and maybe a down power line, so we canceled service. Man, the day that thing happened, my mom and I, we were disappointed because we like a good storm. That thing wasn't even a normal storm. I mean, we get better storms in the summer than we got that day. That was a big disappointment. But a Cat 4 or 5? Whoa, nothing to play around with, okay? Well, with these four trumpets, that same sobering reality has hit now the earth. Okay, the first four trumpets also reveal the mercy of God's judgment. These mercies, by the way, they come between the trumpets. God is always looking for man, giving opportunity for man to turn. And these are partial judgments, and they strike only one-third. They're not striking everything. So God's trying to give a warning, okay? And, but, it, but to a rebellious world? You just go right on with what you've been doing. You don't worry about it. You just try to make adjustments around it. 
because that's all you know. And it's all you want to know. You don't want God because you'd have to submit to him. If you came to God and made Christ Lord, you'd probably, like I said earlier, you're going to die. And during the tribulation, you're, going to, you're probably not going to make it. We looked at that in, in Matthew 24, didn't we? What Jesus had to say. Now let's go to chapter 9. It says, And the fifth angel blew his trumpet. Now, what we saw in the four trumpets, he hit the earth and then he hit man. But I'm telling you, these last three, are, he, hit, he hit the, the earth. These last three hitting man, this is some heavy-duty stuff, okay? And I saw a star fall from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. The first four seals and trumpets presented judgments directed against the earth. That's what they have in common. In the first four seals, there were the four horsemen, right? And what did they bring? False peace, war, famine, and death on the earth. In the first four trumpets, they brought ecological destruction with vegetation, sea, fresh waters, and sky. In the last three seals, they focused on heaven, right? The first three focused on the earth, first four focused on the earth, the last three focused on heaven. We learned all about heaven from chapter five on. Okay? The cry of the martyrs, the cosmic disturbances that God brought in the heavens, and then the heavenly prelude to this seventh trumpet. Now, the last three trumpets will speak of hell in terms of demonic activity. And what we just read here in at the beginning of chapter nine is all about demonic activity being unleashed on the earth. Okay? The text clearly reveals that this star is a person. It's not a literal star. The verb tense, it says he. The verb tense fallen indicates that this has already happened. It's already fallen. This star is best seen as an angel. Whether he is a good or bad angel depends on the relationship to the angel of the bottomless pit in Revelation 9-11. But if this, and I'll tell you who I think, I think it's Satan. It's either Satan or it is one of his archangels, an angel that he trusts, okay? Now, who's, who's unleashing this? God is. You do know that Satan is nothing but a tool in the hand of God. God proved that through the cross. Satan had his own agenda to try to kill Jesus before the people could get a hold of him and know that he was around. They wanted him taken out so that nothing would happen. That didn't work. And Satan went through his steps and God used him like a piece of, like a pawn on a board, chessboard, and God was able to fulfill his plan. That's what's happening here. God is releasing Satan to go down. He's giving him the key. God, God gave Satan the key to this shaft that goes into the, the pit of darkness where these angels were sent by God long ago. And they're going to be released. And now, here you say, well, wait a minute. Why would God give Satan the key? That means Satan's over hell. No, he's not. Satan is, he's, he is in hell suffering like everybody else. But understand this about God. For a season, for a purpose, God can do whatever he wants. I do think God's the one who led Nebuchadnezzar 
and led the Babylonians and led the Assyrians to come in, the Assyrians to overtake the northern kingdom, Israel, and the Babylonians to come and take the southern kingdom. God's used evil nations and evil men throughout the Scripture. God can use Satan for his own purposes, and that's what he's doing here. Okay. Now, the reference to the bottomless pit always refers to the prison where some of the demonic hordes have been incarcerated. And it, it is the place of the most severe, isolated torment that any human being or demonic spirit can possibly experience. I want you to notice that the key is given to that being, okay? Now, where is Satan going with that key? Where is this bottomless pit where they have this shaft that he unlocks and this what looks like smoke, but actually it's demonic spirits that come in the form not in the form, but in the likeness, uh, well, that's not even good, symbolically representative by, represented by uh, locust. Okay? Where is this? Uh, the most straightforward answer that I can give you is this bottomless pit is in the center of the earth. It's the center of the earth. If you ever read Scripture from Old Testament, New Testament regarding heaven, People say, well, we, where's heaven? You know, people who don't believe in heaven. Where, so where is heaven? Well, okay, let me read you the text. Uh, it says that heaven is up. Jesus said it's up. Several times he said it's up. So it's, it's out there. It's the third heaven is beyond the second heaven. And the second heaven is beyond the first heaven. It's out there. Where's hell? It's down. It's not up, it's down. Well, where's the farthest place you can go down? The middle of the earth. If you're at the center of the earth, you can't go anywhere but up. There is no more down. Because you're at the farthest down point that we have on this, in, at the way God created the universe for us on this planet. And I do believe that's where this pit is, okay? Um, what, is what is in that pit right now? Well, this abyss is a prison for certain demons. This is known throughout even the New Testament. If you look at Luke 8.31, you want to turn there, you can. Just write it down. We'll move quickly. Luke 8.31, and they begged. This, these were the demons. When Jesus said, what's your name? They said, Legion, for we are many. And they had taken the man and Jesus. Uh, they, listen to what they said back to him. They said, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss, into the bottomless pit. And so what did he do with them? He released, he released the man from them. They went into pigs. And then what did they do to the pigs? They drowned the pigs. Okay, I wonder what Peter thinks of that. Anyway, um, 2 Peter 2.4, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. So now they're coming out of the pit. They've been kept until judgment. They're going to play a role in the judgment of God. Okay? Jude 6, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So this is probably the same place, this bottomless pit, this abyss. More generally, this place is considered the realm of the dead, the same as Hades in Romans 10, 7. 
Let's move further. Verse 3, Then the, from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. And he'll explain why in just a few minutes. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree. See, that, that happened in the first four trumpets. The judgment was against the earth or against the ecology that people worship. People were worshiping the earth. So God takes away what they worship. Now, <laughs> he says, you're not going to... He, he commands that these locusts will not touch anything on the earth, but only those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So we're in the tribulation period, okay? This judgment comes, these locusts erupt out of this shaft from the pit, and they are not to touch anything of the earth, they're to touch mankind. And you say, well, the only ones they can't touch, it says here, those who have the seal of God on their foreheads. Well, that would be the 144,000 uh, Jewish evangelists, and that would be the converts, those who will be saved. Now, by the way, I've kind of undersold the salvation of God, the gospel, in the last days. Um, just as man on this earth will reject God, even when God brings these judgments, believe me, the greatest outpouring of salvation will happen in the last days. It's going to happen in the last days. And so those people who God has sealed, God, God knew I'd be sealed in Him before I ever got saved. You say, well, how, how can you say that? Because He had foreknowledge. God knows everything before it happens. So the reality is, uh, He'd be a great gambler. God would never lose. Go to the horse track, He could tell you the winner before they even get out on the track. He doesn't have to look at anything, learn anything about any horse. He just calls the winner. Well, that's the same way. You say, well, how do I know if, if I'm saved to a person who's lost? Well, there's, there's an easy way to find out. Go ahead and repent of your sins. And then you'll know God called you from the beginning. <laughs> but if you don't repent of your sins, you're not saved. There's no other way to salvation. And I'm telling you right now, this is pretty exciting, that God is going to seal... Those on the earth who will be saved, or who are saved, who are living on the earth, during this terrible judgment. Now, by the way, not the church. I don't believe it's the church. I believe it's those who, who come to Christ after the church has already been raptured into heaven. So they were told not to harm the, grow, uh, the gr grass of the earth or the green plants or any tree, but only those who do not have the seal of God. Now look at this, verse 5. They were allowed to torment them for five months. So this isn't even a, a long-term torment. It's five months long, but not to kill them. So they can torment, but don't kill. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. So these locusts coming out have a... They, 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 just like a sting of a... Have you ever been stung by a scorpion? I have not either, but I've, but I've been in Honduras, I've seen those scorpions, and I have talked to those who have been stung, and they say there's no pain like it, and it lingers, it hangs with you. That's what this is like for five months, this torment, like a sting of a scorpion. So out of the smoke, locusts came to the earth, okay? And it's all part of the great judgment of God and the great tribulation. He's going to allow these demonic hordes, previously imprisoned to descend upon the earth like a swarm 
of destructive, destructive, uh, destructive locusts. Verse 4, they were, not, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those who do not have the seal of God. And as I said earlier, that's 144,000. Now, I like the fact that even though God is bringing a judgment, He doesn't want them killed at this time. That's coming later. He's still giving them an opportunity to repent. I would think five months of a scorpion-like sting would turn me to Christ. Wouldn't you? Five months. So God's still showing grace. Um, these, these scorpions, they're only doing God's bidding. They're doing exactly what God wants, nothing more, nothing less. They're carrying out His will on the earth. Verse 6, And in those days people will seek death and will not find it. That's how bad the pain, the torment will be for those five months. They'll seek death, but they will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Death will offer no escape from this prolonged torture. Their power is described like the power of scorpions, the bite of a scorpion, though extremely painful. It's rarely fatal. So, and God said, don't kill anybody. So, uh, not good, not good. Uh, by the way, the idea of death as an escape, that is a demonic deception. Somebody who takes their life, who has their wits about them, who has capacity to understand. There are people who I think commit suicide who have lost the capacity to understand and put things together. Medication can do that or getting off of medication, chemical imbalances, all those things. There are people who take their lives like that all the time. But there's people who know exactly what they're doing. And I'm just going to tell you, they've been deceived by Satan himself. It is, a, it is a lie to think that somehow death is an escape. Who was it? The, the kid, the two boys? What was the name of the one boy? Start with a K, his last name. In, in, in Colorado, when they... Kleibold? Yes, Dylan Kleibold. He actually, before they went out and took out the lives of all those students at that school, he looked into the video camera at his house. They had planned everything out. And he had a word for his parents. And he said, I just want you to know that uh, I never really did like this life. But I'm going to find freedom after I do this. Holy mackerel. Lied to by Satan himself. In appearance, the locusts were like horses. Look at this now. This is, this is spooky stuff, man. <laughs> In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. These demonic spirits manifesting. Their hair like women's hair and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. So that's where that scorpion idea comes from. It's interesting that throughout the Old Testament, locusts are used by God as agents of judgment. You can find that in Exodus 10. You can find it in Deuteronomy 28. In 1 Kings 8, 2 Chronicles 7, Joel 1, and Amos 4. Like horses prepare for battle, like crowns of gold, like human faces, like women's hair, like 
lion's teeth. The total impact of this picture is unnatural and incredibly grotesque. Just seeing them alone would, would send fear. That would turn me to Christ right there. <laughs> you don't need to sting me, man. I'll just go ahead and be saved. Um, one, of the, one of the theologians said this, There seems to be no alternative to concluding that God, satisfying the age-long desire of those wicked spirits <coughs> to, to possess bodies of their own, has created bodies for them, bodies appropriate in demonic appearance to the character of the demonic inhabitants. In verse 11, they have a, as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and his Greek is, the Greek name is Apollyon. Although locusts don't have a king, right? These demonic creatures do. His name in both Hebrew and Greek means destruction or, or torment. There's this hierarchy of power among the demons, just as you have that among the holy angels. Apparently, the angel of the abyss is, is one of Satan's most trusted leaders, or possibly Satan himself. But I'm telling you, in hell, all of them are under God's command, and they're all in torment. So even though they might have somebody who says he's the king or he's the leader, uh, he's in torment. He's in great pain. When Satan is cast into outer darkness, I'm telling you, that he, the bottomless pit, he, he is going to be in great torment for all eternity. Okay, he'll suffer like everybody else. Uh, verse 12, the first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. So, so that was just the first woe. Of the, so that was the fourth, I'm sorry, the fifth. Now we're going to the sixth seal. The, the, the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God. If you know anything about the tabernacle, you know anything about the temple in the holy place, you're going to have that, that altar, and it's going to have the four horns on the corners. And that was a specific uh, picture of, uh, that's where they would put blood on the horns and for, just to, for sacrifice. And it was, a, it was also representative of the prayers of God's people because the incense were in there. The horns stood at each corner of the golden altar, atoned with blood. Okay? Now, interestingly, he says, verse 14, saying that to the sixth seal who had the, had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. That's interesting. Um, well, let's read the next verse. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. So he's releasing these four angels, these demonic spirits, who have been held back all this time by God. And now they've been held back for this particular hour, for this particular day, for this month, for this year. And they're released to kill a third of mankind. So where the last group, the locusts, those demonic spirits, they could torment, they couldn't kill. These are coming to kill, okay? And how many do they kill? A third of mankind. Okay, Scripture never refers to holy angels as being bound. And these were bound, so that's how we know they're not, they're not from God. These are demonic spirits. Okay, these are, these are demons. And uh, the demonic locusts described earlier in the chapter were restricted to tormenting mankind. These have authority to kill on a massive scale. Okay, one-third of all people. Now, release the four angels who are bound up at the great river Euphrates. 
that's one of the four rivers that connected into the Garden of Eden. Connected into the Garden of Eden. Okay? Starting with Babel, this region has spawned many of the world's pagan religions. You're talking about the Babylonians. You're talking about the birthplace of Islam and many other religions. I mean, you're talking also, I mean, just think about the world religions. So much of that was, was founded right in that region. Uh, the, the Euphrates is associated with the first sin in Genesis 2.10. It's associated with the first murder in Genesis 4. It's associated with the, uh, or, the first organized revolt against God, Genesis 11. The first war confederation, Genesis 14. And the first dictatorship in Genesis 10. So this is an area that is absolutely given over to sin, to darkness, to the powers of darkness. And from this place, these four are going to rise. Okay? They were bound up, and now God's released them to come and take out a third of the people on the earth. Verse 16, they also come with troops. They come with an army. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number, and this is how I saw the horse, horses in, the, in my vision and those who rode them. They, were breast, they wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur, and the heads, you know what sulfur smells like, and the heads of the horses were like lions' heads, and the fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire, the smoke, and the sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. So the number of the army would be 200 million. 200 million. Back in 1965, China said they had an army of 200 million. Nobody could ever prove it. They, we didn't believe it, and it never came to pass that anybody ever, ever saw that. But I will tell you this, just to put it in perspective, if you want to, <clears throat> um, the total size of all the armies that fought in World War II, all the armies that fought in World War II, okay, was only 70 million. Okay? So 200 million is a lot of, uh, of soldiers, or in this case, demons. That's a lot, okay? If this describes a natural army of men, then the weird description may speak of modern mechanized warfare, but I don't think it does. I don't think it does. I, th I, think, it's, I think it's more literal. I think there are demonic spirits that are going to come up, and God's going to to take out a third of mankind. It's describing a, a demonic army invading the earth. And this idea of demonic army, like locusts, describes early in the chapter, it's just a continuation, it just gets worse. Verse 20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders on their sorceries or their, sexual, or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. In general, mankind through all of this shows no repentance, no sign of repentance. 
despite the presence of some pretty overwhelming signs and wonders, I would think. Yeah? No, so, so here, what do we take from that? Here's the deal. There are people on this earth who will not turn to God. And this is also true. You and I do not know who they are. You might think you do. You might think you know somebody who will never turn to God. You're not God. Only the Lord knows whether their name is written in the book of life. Therefore, every one of us ought to be going after every one of them. Even the ones who are, who are enemies of God. We, sh we still share the gospel. Now, if they don't receive it, shake the dust off your feet and go to somebody else. But go. Our mandate is to go and tell. Share the gospel. Whether somebody gets saved or not, it's not our business. That's God's work. We don't save anybody. The gospel saves them. We just share the gospel. Be faithful to do that. And there are people who will surprise you that get saved. That you didn't see it coming. You, did, you can't believe it when it happens. It's just going to be, but that's the work of the Spirit. That's what God does. He works, His work is mysterious. That's why God says through the foolishness of preaching. Just be faithful to preach. Just get the word out. You don't have to be a great speaker. You don't have to be a charismatic leader. Just, just be faithful to the word. Jonathan Edwards, when he preached, he preached like this. He read everything like this because he couldn't hardly see. And he read his sermon. And one of the greatest sermons ever given, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, was preached by Jonathan Edwards. People were falling out, repenting of sin, all in the room going crazy as God's spirit was moving, as this man just stood there doing this. It's not about us and our ability and our charismatic personality. It's not about any of that. It's about you being faithful to the Word of God. Let the Word do its work. And let's reach as many as we can who, who will be with us in eternity. Amen? Amen? We want them in the church. Praise God. Father, thank you tonight. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity to come before you and, and, and to open your word and just to try to understand more about what's going to happen. What, what it does for me tonight, Lord, is it excites me. It, 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 it actually it challenges me and it enthralls me that tomorrow I have another opportunity to share the gospel Amen. with people. Lord, may I not miss the opportunities you present. May we not miss those opportunities. May we get serious about the things that matter to you. And if anything Revelation does is it brings, back, brings us back to the reality of your work on the earth and how you want to use us, and we're thankful for that. So now, Lord, we leave knowing that with confidence that we have nothing to fear going forward. But, Lord, we, our heart breaks over those who are lost and don't get it. And, and many will not be saved, but there are those who will be. Use us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.